1: to Henry Farmer. In the years of the primal court, from the dawn terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and the man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord.
0: Well, 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 this is Alan Averill. Greetings from the dead of night in Dublin, Ireland. This is episode 87 of Agitators Anonymous, and this is a return interview. Um, This is Jackie Schmidt from Into the Necrosphere, and one of many metal podcasts out there that is gaining more and more prominence. I've noticed that a whole bunch of us who started around about the beginning of the pandemic have been slowly sort of growing and growing. And there's definitely a pool of interesting podcasts out there. And Jackie certainly does one of them. Into the Necrosphere um, is a kind of kindred spirit, I suppose, in a sense of Agitators Anonymous. He has more guests, of course. But the idea of free speech, liberty, all those kind of things underpin the podcast in general. So I appeared on his podcast, um, I don't know, five or six months ago, maybe. I don't know, could be a year ago. Who knows where the time goes, my friends. But this is a return interview, so I invited him onto the podcast. So this one really is mainly about politics, about culture, some economics, some observations of the banking system, this kind of thing. It's um, not really, I suppose, uh, a light musical interlude, so to speak. Eine kleine Nachtmusik ist, uh, It is not. It is a fairly serious interview. But the clue is in the title Agitators Anonymous, right? We're here for some free speech and difficult questions. And I think this is a pretty rewarding one. So um, you can follow me on Instagram, Nemtheang underscore primordial or primordial underscore official if you want to see some nonsense and ridiculous images from the exciting and and dastardly dull routine that his life at the moment will go over and follow me or follow us. Um, all right. You can go to patreon.com slash Alan if you want to support the podcast In another way, there aren't any tears, as I don't really understand what I'm doing. So you can gain access to other podcasts, songs, rehearsals, all sorts of other things uh, for as little as a dollar or whatever um, your earth euro is worth these days before they get rid of the fiat currency. But that's for another podcast, isn't it? Well, well, well. All right, let's do this. Did I just say Orwell? Orwell. Well, indeed. Episode 87 with Jackie Smith from Into the Necrosphere. All right, Siri, our Siri overlord has told us that we can continue. Right, I'm with Jackie from Into the Necrosphere. How are you, sir?
1: I'm not bad, thanks. How are you?
0: Mm. <laughs> well, um. I mean, you know, I suppose ups and downs like everyone else. The idea that there was a, well, I, there was a small little interlude of calm which then has sort of slip down the slope into wherever we are now um you know sort of moving back into restrictions and rules and all that kind of thing and i suppose that's really realistically going to be some body of what we're going to talk about um it's certainly not going to be you know a dissection of the new iron maiden album considering what both our podcasts are like really is it
1: (laughs) no (laughs) no definitely not yeah i uh i i i i in my in my in my mind, I was thinking this would be the worst case scenario. Like every single winter it flares up again. You know, people start getting the cold, they start getting winter flu, and then that gets co-opted into some sort of variant of the coronavirus, which the coronavirus is a variant of the common cold. Um and then you have the cycle every single December where you know it's it's on tenterhooks as to whether Christmas is going to carry on or not. Well you know this is next. this is another year and uh we're in the same old you know m- almost the same old shit that we were in uh in 2020
0: yeah i mean it's it's uh, like i said there was a sort of a brief window where it seemed like things were going to move back um towards i'm not going to say completely reopening but there was a little window there which sort of granted a little bit of a little bit of calm, a little bit more normality back. We even had some kind of like post midnight nightlife in the city here. Traveling seemed a little bit easier, that kind of thing. There was even the promise of a couple of gigs. I went to see one or two. Um, And then, of course, the as you say, the Omicron comes along with crushing inevitability and sends us back into the same spiral. Um, And, you know, I mean, like all the reports are really that this is just some mild variation, but it doesn't seem to matter because I mean you know it's just clearly um, states and tech or pharma just go well everybody has to jump now and we all go how high and we're as you say back on the treadmill Um, and so you have to kind of wonder is this just how things will be pretty much every winter season yeah Um, people just will sacrifice pretty much you know however much of their freedoms or the you know, outside, you're not gonna say outside living, but they're just gonna, this is just what we do now every winter, which I fail to see how it isn't. Because if you, you know, pull back on this and then just go, okay, it's all in the rearview mirror now and it's forgotten. And then people go, well, what about the normal 20 or 30,000 people who die every year from flu? Do you not care about them or do you not care about this or that or the other? Um, Yeah, it just somehow feels like a rather depressing die is cast, you know? Oh, by the way, if anybody's here for, you know, Christmas cheer, they're they're in the wrong place, you know.
1: <laughs> I was about to say this is going to this isn't going to be a particularly festive episode of your uh, of your podcast. I mean, I, I I think one of the things that I'm gobsmacked by is how how few people actually realise the precedents that are currently being set. You know, not not only in terms of lockdowns being the the, the the solution to, you know, anything that looks vaguely, vaguely like a pandemic, uh, you know, I, I can certainly foresee a point where, you know, they'll start saying, well, there's too many cases of flu, uh, you know, this winter season, so lockdown, yeah. you know, a couple of folks get the shingles, oh, that could be contagious, lockdown. Um, you know, and then on the on, on the flip side of things, and I'll preempt this by saying I'm not you know I'm not an anti-vaxer in any by any stretch of the imagination. I've I've had my first shot. I will do my second shot soon. I I will say I did get that for the express purpose of being able to travel and I, and on the on the promise that I was going to uh, be able to return to normal, which apparently is yeah. not the case. So I can apparently still spread it, still die from it. There's no difference really. I just have a little fancy passport in my, uh, or fancy, I've got I've got a, I've got something in my NHS passport saying that I'm fully vaccinated. But either way, I mean, vaccine mandates. If they can force you to put one thing in your body, why not more? Why Why wouldn't uh, you know? They start saying, well, you know, chicken pox. If an adult gets it, is is lethal. So you all have to vaccinate for chicken pox now as adults. Well, and I mean, and given the the power of big pharma and the lobby that they have in the states and and and, and elsewhere. You know, I, I can't. The, the, there's the saying: "Show me the uh, show me the incentive, and I'll show you the behavior." If the if the incentive is there for them to have a captive audience of people, they can charge a government twenty dollars a vaccine for. Do people think this is the last vaccine we're going to have to inject in the no, in the well, next I mean, decade?
0: The, no, I mean that's the thing is that there's so many things which before had no precedence. Um, I mean, if you look go back to the original, you know, pandemic plan that there was, you know, across Europe. Um, I think it's by the John Hopkins Foundation, German, I think. And um, if I'm not, i may maybe mixing them some, something up. And, you know, they you, it clearly states, you know, lockdown is undemocratic and considered un-European, antithetical to the values upon which, um, theoretically, Europe was, um, I suppose, founded, and how quickly that went out the window. But, yeah, it just feels like we're on a treadmill now. And I, I sort of fail to see how... Um, People are going to get off the treadmill because we've this I think it's part of it is a a sort of we can level it against central northern European and Anglosphere countries who I think have a sort of middle class indulged um, attitude towards a risk averse society being somehow some sort of tangible um, thing that they can create when I mean it's just you know look at what's happening in Australia or whatever this it's it's a nonsense you know but it's it does seem like we're on a treadmill now and that your your vaccine passport will be you know all of a sudden that green tick will go red when it's deemed that your um you know your first one or two doses are run out and you're going to need a booster and i mean look to me it's um the virus is the virus um i've never really you know I'm questioned exactly what that was. Now you can question the lethality of whatever, but the idea that uh, it's being used as a move to, you know, move everybody onto a digital passport and grid, I see. I think is it's fairly. It should be fairly clear to people. Although you're seems, a filthy
1: conspiracy seems, theorist for saying those things. Well, I had this,
0: <laughs> I, I only had this argument with somebody the other day on uh, YouTube, and they were just I there, like, "Look, if you start off your argument with the words conspiracy or tinfoil." Um, your arguments done. It, what that merely says to me is that you're a person who's just not either willing to think about anything or not thought about anything and who's just annoyed that someone else has the temerity to kind of be, at, at least for my mind, standing in the middle going, um, well, I, hey, I'm trying to hold the line in the middle between this thing on the other side. So I don't know, you know, but that's that's what well, that gets thrown at you, you know?
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. But you know, t- take it away from the the, the, the present day. Like what, I, what I've what i never understood is why people don't, you know, you don't even have to follow the news. You, you can follow 10% of, of, of the news to spot inconsistencies in the logic being thrown at you. And at the very least ask questions. And, and it feels to me like anybody that dares to ask a question nowadays, is that the term "conspiracy theorist" has been co-opted with them? You know, much, much the way that that you know wh- phrases like or words like "nazi" gets th- thrown around with reckless abandon, and it's it's a very cheap and it's a very lazy way of of essentially nullifying your opponent's argument. You yeah. know, uh, the, I, I I I mean, you've you've probably seen loads of it. I saw a tweet the other day saying, literally, the tweet read. um, the unvaccinated are worse than the Nazis. Literally. It's like, have you ever watched a World War II documentary? <laughs> it's like, do we even need to have this discussion? Yeah. But but why I so say take it away from, from current day. I where my intellectual curiosity was peaked was during I was in my very early 20s, it was is in the drum up to the Iraq war. And I remember uh, seeing a, a poll on GMTV or you know some similar similar garbage, where only something like thirty-two percent of the United Kingdom were in favour of us getting involved in the war, and the rest were against. Two weeks later, there was this uh, you know massive furor, you know confirmed threat, Al Qaeda financed by Saddam Hussein are going to crash planes into Heathrow. So in order to avoid this, we've pulled tanks onto the runway, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, how's that going to help? Heathrow is relatively near Hounslow and places like that. If you know, if, if they're going to shoot down a plane there, in, in all likelihood, it's still going to smash into a residential area and kill you know, tens, if not hundreds, of people, maybe even more. Um, and then two weeks later, I, I th- there was another poll, and all of a sudden, sixty four percent were in favour of the war. Yeah. And, I, and it was at that point that I, I first woke up to to the degree to which people are led and to which people's responses are are. are entirely based on, on emotion. There's, there's, there's very little else. You and I spoke about this on my podcast as well, but, but even then, it's like what I, what I, what I still struggle to understand. I struggle to understand it then. And I struggle to understand it now is like, can't you at least question the the inconsistencies and in what's been said to you?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, when people are afraid and given a propaganda, you know, sort of a length of time, that's, a, you know, sort of being propagandized or whatever you want to call it. Um, it becomes very, Hard for them to separate those two things. I mean, I I had this conversation many times with old friends, and um, they said to me, "Look, we have to have faith in the systems." And I said, "Okay, well, that's the difference between you and me is that um, I never had faith in those systems." I, I understand that it's almost like, and I've been trying to think about this quite a lot. It's quite a lot like brand loyalty. If you are brand, if your brand loyalty is, let's say, the state of Ireland, and you grew up with a certain inbuilt patriotism, you find it hard to believe. Um, really that um, the state might mean you some harm. But maybe they might not mean you directly harm, but certainly they haven't fixed the health service. Um, yeah. The health service is a mess here. And so indirectly, it does. The, the state's incompetence does cause people harm. But the idea, again, I was arguing with somebody the other day and I said to them, well, if you think that state, tech, pharma and media have no connections and that they do actually, they are benign entities, I, don't, I can't really help you in, the, in this world. I'm not asking you to live in my head and, and see the world like I do because at least when I argue with my friends who have you know young families they're like I can't be in that space or how would I bring up my children with any positivity and you go yeah alright that's a good point but you also then can't deny um, some of the facts uh, of what we're seeing and of course if you're referring to Iraq war then yeah the weapons of mass destruction was the sexed up dossier And then a million people came out in the streets of london but it still happened so
1: yeah well a million people came out in the streets of london it's it it still happened but you know if you go all the way back to then and i mean things way before that the same institutions the same media that expects us to believe everything about coronavirus and everything about the vaccines is the same media that that fed us that lie it's the same media that that, um, you know, told us for years that the banks were the only ones to blame for the financial crisis, even though they underreported the fact that, you know, when the governments had bailed them out with taxpayer money and asked for the money back, the banks basically said fuck off and, you know, on and on we went, you know, they, they've pushed lie after lie after lie over the course of the, the, the past <clears throat> two decades, you know, certainly since I've been following the news more closely. And all of a sudden now we have to, we have to stop and think, well, no, this time it's different. (laughs) This (laughs) time, this time they're going to be honest.
0: Sure. But I think the problem is that obviously, especially in the last four or five, six years, the, the, um, you know, the progress of technology has sort of changed the game in that um, individual people are, you know, I I call it like um, once upon a time, if you like think about it once upon a time in the eighties or nineties, you might've sat down with the family and watched the news at night and you might've agreed on a shared, version of reality where now that's completely shredded it's completely gone your algorithm is different to mine is different to whoever else's Um, you know like even even just my sister who isn't particularly um into the news when i said to her well you know kyle rittenhouse shot uh white people she was like what i said well yeah i mean look but your side of whatever your news and it's um it's not that complicated yeah, Or it's not she's not really wasn't? into the news yeah she's really she's not uh, that into the news yeah she's like huh
1: but, well, so you mean he wasn't running around trying to murder black people in mass?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's just I think that we just don't have a shared platform of reality anymore. So yeah. I think that comparing the new, you know, how we disseminate news now to 1995 um, is a little bit more difficult because there's so much misinformation. And I would hope, I mean, look, I'm, I'm as beholden to my algorithm as some other people are. Um, I just don't, you know, my belief in the institutions, you know, my faith in them was was never there. So, it, you know, all of the... How we say the dark machinations of the world don't surprise me, um, but like I said, there's so many people in this who now I think there's also an, an element of people are so emotionally invested in this now in 22 months they won't go well, all right yeah something fucked up is happening they just it's they just can't bring themselves to do that because a it means sort of losing or it means sort of giving in to I don't think it's classic divide and conquer you know you've got the anti-vax 5G, alt-right, Trumpus on one side, and then you've got the virtuous on the other side. So it's a binary choice, good or evil. And if you go, well, maybe there's perdition, or I don't know, maybe there's somewhere in the middle, people just, they, they're they not emotionally, I think, a lot of people are not emotionally willing to reside in this complicated gray area where we don't really know, you know, which is yeah. a really difficult place to inhabit.
1: Well, I, I, I think it's a... I think it's a degree of, um, so if I, my, 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 my theory around, I think where a lot of this comes from, I think, unfortunately, in, in, you know, particularly modern education, I think kids are, are reared in schools with, you know, no, no literacy around politics, the economy, finance. I mean, they're certainly financially uh, illiterate because they, they leave school, they're foisted into a culture in the West of indulgence and excess. They quickly land themselves in debt. I think the last statistic I read, and I and I was speaking a correction here, is that something like fifty percent of people in the UK don't really have a pension to speak of. The average pension pot in the UK is sixty-six thousand pounds. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> which is fucking terrifying. Link,
0: but you can link that into, oh, you can say that that's also to do with um, companies' business practice, and that they, you know, the yeah the jobs that once existed uh, to, to pension don't exist anymore, and you know, that's that's. Yeah that's, not, that's, that's, not that's, exactly, that's, that's true that's, to a degree. That's not exactly people's entirely people's fault I think but I but I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. see what you getting. But from. I think
1: I think what they do is so they come out not really understanding how anything works and whereas in 1995 or 1985 you needed to have some degree of qualification to be considered a subject matter expert, you know, you, you needed to be qualified to turn up on the news and talk about something. Sure. Nowadays, you just need a Twitter account and you post something completely ridiculous and outrageous. You're almost incentivized to do so because of the the nutcases you're going to attract, who are going to you know give you likes, and then and then these these economically, politically, financially illiterate people end up in that in that positive feedback loop where you know how could i how could i possibly be wrong you know all these people like every every crazy uh, bit of nonsense that i say and i you know the people that i i that like my stuff i follow their stuff they say equally crazy nonsense and we're just all cross-pollinating these these lunatic ideas there's never any any direct incentive for them to be intellectually curious to question to 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 think slightly differently and and actually to talk to somebody you know ultimately who who has a different opinion to them i mean i i'm I make no bones about the fact that I'm, you know, politically, I'd, I'd say I'm socially liberal or socially libertarian, probably. i fiscally extremely conservative, but I, the, some of the people I like talking to most are far to the left because I enjoy hearing their point of view. I enjoy hearing my ideas challenged, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll come away from that conversation. I'll go, am I full of, am I full of shit? Yeah. I mean, and then inevitably good. I'll say, no, it's them who are wrong. <laughs> Um,
0: yeah i mean it's well we are like i said it's a kind of divide say it's a kind of culture war divide and conquer people are siloed into their their uh, you know their either side but i think one of the the reasons for that sort of um you know polarization is the fact that print media or the old media is kind of because it's incentivized now by clicks and by outrage it errs towards putting as i said some you know 15 year old um activist next to a a 65-year-old scientist because that's people want to watch watch the car crash. I yeah. always say in the podcast moderate woman says reasonable thing no one reads that article and that's unfortunately the fact is that as 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 the human monkeys that we are we're attracted to the to the to the car crash to the to the the sexy conflict to whatever. We don't really kind of want the other thing, you know. And so um it goes around in this cycle of um just sort of disincentivization cycle where people are not incentivized to be you know in that middle ground which has been systematically destroyed
1: I so so I, I agree with you uh, you know that uh, about I agree with you on that um I've been reading a really interesting book recently by uh, Niall Ferguson uh, called oh, yeah. Doom um and and in in this he talks at length about the the human fascination with the with the Apocalypse um,
0: yeah, that's what I'm. I'm reading this one.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he he about you know with 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 uh, you know apocalyptic scenarios. You know, going all the way back to you know pre sure. you know Christianity. You know, he talks about how it kind of evolved. You know, when you know when when the Christian faith became. Yeah, it's
0: a kind of popularized,
1: of if you will. You know, exactly. it, it it gained it gained some special effects and a few Oscar-worthy moments in the Book of yeah. Revelation, but you know, typically people have kind of they've they've treated a lot of you know things in history, everything from the Vikings attacking Christendom, you know, through to the you know, first and second World War, you know, even through to uh, you know the creation of the the Doomsday Clock in the um, you know during the Cold War. There's always been this this fascination this almost obsession with with the the end of our existence on planet earth and there's people that have again very cleverly co-opted into you know either making the, themselves famous or making themselves rich by by you know stepping up and being the leader as they as they pretend to be i mean it's it's true in to to many to, you know in many uh, instances of the climate situation as well i'm not the you know i'm not saying that that the climate isn't something that's serious and we need to pay attention to. But at the same time, there's no denying that a lot of people are getting very rich off of it and and not necessarily if you want to be, if you want to be principled about it, uh, are they really doing as much for the climate as yeah. they pretend to do well, or I as mean, they, as we're ma- led the, to believe that they do?
0: Yeah. This is the Bill Hicks thing, isn't it? Climate dollar, big dollar. You know, advertising dollar, big dollar. I mean, that's the thing. It's a kind of form of melanarianism, I think it's called, isn't it? The sort of obsession with this around the time of the two thousands, the end of a sort of epochal sort of end yeah. of civilization Christianity, that kind of thing. I mean, it's again, I I I, I agree, but I think that it's it's also um, placing an awful lot of things in a historical context. We've got we've just had this machine now, this algorithm that's so um, so unprecedented that the news cycle is so dominated by, um, you know, it rewards the most outrageous points of view, and so therefore, I think just trying to find your way through that misinformation to some to some sort of moderate um, debate between people is is almost impossible, and so that's why everybody gets so emotionally involved. I mean, I I mean I posted a, a video which I thought was kind of interesting by the guy who formed Greenpeace, and he was talking about extinction rebellion. And within, uh, you know, and he, he was just slamming them. And, but I just thought it was a very interesting piece, but just what an odd character he was and then sort of analysis of his. And within within 90 seconds of posting it, I was slammed for being, are you denying climate change? I was like, did you watch the video? No, but you're so trigger happy to just blah because you think I don't, what did I say? Am I my brother's keeper that I own? <laughs> I'm responsible for everything in the video. It was, it's the same constantly. Most people who would attack me for this, that either. It's, it's usually done on a, such a sort of knee jerk reaction, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you, do you find that you're in the firing line a lot? Uh, Cause I mean, you know, you, you obviously, I, I don't have a particularly high public profile. I have been very fortunate with my podcast. it's grown exponentially, you know, driven by, you know, some of, you know, the, like the episode you and I did, but I think I've been extremely lucky so far that most of the people that listen to the podcast, I think all seem to embrace the idea as much as they might differ with me on stuff of free thinking, open-mindedness, you know, you know, we can agree to live and let live on, on particular issues because there's something that unites us and that's our love of music, our love of hot, you know, whatever the case may be. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's not—it's not something I've ever really been a stranger to. Um, people taking a dislike over something that I've said, or they think I've said, or that I've um, written, or that kind of thing. And Promordial has always, you know, in interviews throughout all of the years, has had elements where people find—and um, of course, when you're younger, you're a bit more angry and polemic and want to poke the bear a bit more. But I—I w- I would say through the podcast, every now and again, I get some. You know, some really quite aggressive pushback on on, on small little things, um, but by and large, ninety percent of the people I would say who listen to it seem to be wholeheartedly supporting it. And I think if they really listen to it, they sort of realise that I do temper, um, I do temper some of the observations and some of the ideas with trying to put trying is you know to put the other side, or at least to say, look, I'm not this. I'm a singer in a heavy metal band. Um, so there's a certain there seems to be a certain sort of overwhelming respect for the idea that you're trying to do something different and not like, you know, towing the mainstream sort of narrative. But, um, yeah, there are plenty of people who are just because you ask the question are willing to um, go, oh, so you're, you know, oh, so you're anti-vax now. It's like, well, it's, if you know, it's, it's being anti-vax because you question the profit margin of big pharma. And it's always I'd say to people, and it's always people on the relative new left, and you go, when since when did people on the left defend the profit margin of big pharma? And this is that's the divide and conquer thing. You know, I always go back to the you know Occupy movement in two thousand eight, and I go, the one percent was almost sort of rightfully, um, you know, pinpointed as that's that's where this is coming, this top down, um, you know, sort of whatever you want to call it, submission, oppression, whatever, financial um, oppression, and. They successfully co-opted and bought that movement, and now that movement tacitly supports them in the sense that if I say, hey, even one post like Pfizer made this much money and people be like, Oh, you're 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 are you 5G as well? It's like, wow, you're defending the profit margins of big pharma. I didn't make any comment about virus or vaccine efficacy or whatever. It's like you know, whole generation of younger people defending the motives of huge transnational corporations um against well, you speaking out to power which i find uh, right well
1: huge transnational uh corporations who are not incentivized by you, you ensuring your well-being they're not uh, no, they are they, no. incentivized by the by the profit motive and that's fine I, I i'm a believer in the profit motive and i think that the profit motive drives innovation in in pharma but i also believe that if left unchecked you know it, it could be abused i mean and 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 the, and the reality is there's, there's two 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 things that kind of come to mind of what you said. Number one, a lot of the people who, you know, are now demanding that you get vaccinated, and if you don't, you're, you know, a danger and a menace to society, were the people that very openly said when the those same vaccines were being created under the Trump administration, they would never put it in yeah. their bodies.
0: I mean, that's by so, That's by you know, we're, we're, biden and kamala harris you can find yeah exactly
1: so 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 they're playing some pretty crazy uh you know mental gymnastics to derive at the point that they're getting to equally uh you know pfizer is as uh, there's there's a documentary that's about to come out that i read about uh, earlier this evening where pfizer is uh, apparently running down astrazeneca saying they you know their um vaccine causes cancer etc 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 so i mean if 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 anything tells you that that these guys are are out to make as much money as they themselves can do, regardless of their competition, regardless of anything else, uh, that that to me is just proof of it. Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean the fact that they didn't want to release the what is it the sort of the documents till twenty seventy six, and you know there are th- there are thousands of um, you yeah. know med- medicines that are not given patents by the CDC every year, thousands and Pfizer and all these companies have already paid out billions in reparations to yeah many people many countries many whatever but the fact that they've it would seem been granted indemnity by most eu member states i mean these are things it's it, it's like i keep saying to people is like it's not fundamentally the vaccine itself it's the structure of coercion that's placed around it so if that makes you anti something or anti not well that, what it makes me is like uh pro skepticism and anti um, a, a structure of coercion that's basically and I mean, like the 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 the, the idea that um, you see in Australia, they're building inter- they built internment camps, they're sending people to, and you look at the rhetoric coming from Austria and Germany, you think to yourself, no, I think it's too easy, it's too low hanging fruit. That's not really right to go. Oh, but look at nineteen thirty six. But the idea that certain sections of Europe are creating a two tier society, and look, I mean, let's be honest, where are they going to? What are they going to do with people who just? just the no the vaccine's not for us i mean it's um are they going to go the same route as australia Is australia the testing ground i mean that's a very dark um avenue yeah. to be going down it's got some terrible precedents. the idea that you know and i just don't think enough people somehow seem to be thinking about it i think it's i think it's also a class thing i think that's that it's that european middle class sort of Indulgent middle class, who are just going. Yeah, lock them down. We need to get get this over with, etc., etc. Sorry, that was a bit of a flippant comment, but you know what I mean. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think in part, I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is just a, it, it's a extension or, or another tentacle of the of the culture wars um you know if if i mean uh, not to get too directly political but if 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 trump had still been in office and he had said there's a vaccine mandate i guarantee you that would they, there would be people flipping out about it the same people that, pushing you to get it now yeah they would be mean, losing their minds
0: I, th- I think i think that's exactly true if trump at the beginning had come out pro-lockdown an awful lot of the same people who are pro-lockdown will be against it and as you say well, if, well, if, trump well, in, if trump was in power now i agree and he said vaccine mandates people there would be Literally riots on the streets.
1: Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Oh, well, he 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 suggested that they lock down their borders and not accept any foreign travellers when uh, I think early in February mm. of 2020. And that was xenophobic and racist. Yeah. America has literally just done it again with, with 10 countries uh, in Southern Africa. Um, I mean, even just as an aside, the Remain in Mexico uh, order that, that Trump initiated that was terrible and, you know, had bad, ioc weeping at the border and things like that that's well, just been reinstated
0: you know, well in a car park in,
1: yeah, LA. <laughs> yeah. But, but well you've, I, you've,
0: I... you speak to more people in in bands than me what's your you know because what's your sort of test or what's your feeling of the sort of test within the metal scene because i got a very interesting message from um this guy to the agitators anonymous you know enfeebled facebook page and he was just like um why are so many so much of the metal scene seemingly so um acquiescent so subordinate to this dominating narrative all i he says all i see is endless you know posts on instagram of people virtue signaling about their vaccination or um about you know whether it's i don't know a big metal musicians you know mm. Gary Holt going i can't believe people are injecting horse dewormer and all this bullshit but you speak to more Musicians and me. What's your sense of um, how people are reacting to it, or do you tend to speak to a certain kind of person who might, you know, be? I was just about to say that's a difficult on one because I,
1: I, I made a conscious decision when I started the podcast. This is has to be something that's for me, and and you know, I'll only ever invite people on the podcast who I want to speak to, mm-hmm. and whose music I like. So for that reason, I'm always in, in. I'm I'm initially very cautious about talking about stuff like this because. If the conversation doesn't naturally go there, then I, I always feel like okay, that's not something they're comfortable talking about, which is fine. But equally, I don't want to get into an. I would hate to get into an argument with someone whose music I like because I'm never going to be able to listen to their music again. Yeah. But what I what I will say to you though, in, from my from my personal experience, I I do feel, I think I might have even said this to you on on Messenger before. I think there's a lot more people that feel the way that we do than you than you may realize. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken to people in big bands, of which next week there's one coming out with one of uh, Gary Holt's uh, bandmates, and we, he thinks about things pretty much the same way as we do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think a lot of people, I think with a lot of bands, especially the older guys, the saltier dogs, they just want to deal with the grief.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you've I mean,
1: seen.
0: I totally understand that, you know. I think also that people just also want to just, they just want to go, just fucking do it, and let's get back to fucking normal. Get back on tour. Get back on. Yep. But no one wants that more than me. Of course not. But I yeah. can't shelve my skeptical perspective on on the world just to go right. Shut up, fucking. Because I it just doesn't seem like that's going to be the route. Well,
1: I would also say we 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 were told initially. I mean, I think Boris Johnson's exact quote was, "The vaccine is your key to freedom." Mm. That has not been the case. I mean, what is what has truly changed between uh, now and the end of 2020? Not, 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 not much. We'll most likely end up going into lockdown again at some point soon. I hope we don't, but it seems like the I'll sods maybe, being laid for that.
0: Maybe he meant vaccine number six or seven or
1: you know. <laughs> the vaccine in 20th time is your key to freedom. Well, <laughs> for those did, of you that make it,
0: well, you saw the Sage recommendations that, or the, the the sort of projections that people are going to have to live with elements of this for five, at least five to ten years. Um, I, I mean it's um it, it, I think the just the economic structure that's now been built in place is unfortunately just too huge m- maybe to tear down because the fina- because I, I mean the financial implications um and let's say that the pharma technocracy whatever you want to call I think it's powerful than more powerful than most european member states um, sure. their individual uh, um, ability to say no to this you know and yeah, also because no, they're all looking over their shoulder going well in ireland if they go in ireland they're going well look what they're doing we can't do the opposite of um i don't know what belgium or holland are doing you know even though holland is more locked down right now than we are but you know yeah they, they all can't be seen to be doing nothing
1: yeah well this is the thing i mean you know i i i can i can be the devil's advocate as well and i can look at i can look at what i would do in a politician's position and, and and it's tough i mean say for example omicron you know there's news of the omicron variant and boris said fuck it we're you know we're just carrying on we're going to go on as normal and then all of a sudden it turns out to be the super lethal strain and there's hundreds upon thousands of people dying who's going to be held responsible for that there, there's unfortunately no, is, there's no there's no glory in prevention
0: no well I mean, um, that's a very that's you're. That's a kind of interesting theory. I think it's something innate within us, which is like you know, if you're standing in the this sounds a bit weird, but if you're standing in the jungle and something rustles rustles in the bushes, you may as well fucking run. And,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's the idea. It's the idea socially, right? That um, underreacting to an unforeseen risk um, is far the danger is far greater than overreacting. To a a, yeah, a minimal risk, and that sort yeah. of that that's something innate within us, and I think that that's carried on. I don't necessarily blame. I don't think politicians are all in on some multifaceted Machiavellian, you know, top-down plot, uh, or doing the bidding of the World Economic Forum, or doing the bidding of whoever it is. But they're also on the they're also on the you know the four-year cycle. They're on the election cycle. They're trying to look after their as you say, save their own asses. They're trying to create. Uh, a a place where they are not blamed and so therefore the rush to risk averse somehow unfortunately seems like a natural process but the problem is that when i when I analyze that metaphor i thought well it really depends on who's making the rustling in the bushes doesn't it
1: yeah yeah it does and I, i think also there there does come a point where you can say we've been you know we've we've been cautious enough now it's time to you know maybe 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 follow what what the evidence is telling us because when omicron did come out the doctor that discovered it in south africa was yeah. very quick to come out and say the symptoms are mild i don't know what everybody's yeah, yeah. overreacting about no, it I seems watch- like it's co-opted um parts of the uh of the common cold
0: yeah i mean i watched i watched her interview as well and she said she didn't know of one single person hospitalized i think you're gonna be careful <laughs> what you say now but i think she she was there like look this is the people aren't being hospitalized because this and again falling numbers in my own country but yet you have the you know unelected health board officials coming out going we we recommend this 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 some this, and restrictions and i'm just not sure how long they can spin that to people um
1: well i mean the death rate has, hasn't gone up exponentially either so on the on the i'm looking at the numbers now so 26th of october the 7 day average was sorry 26th of august the 7 day average was 110 deaths and right now as of today, where the seven-day average is 119.
0: This is in the so UK. If,
1: yeah, so if Omicron was as deadly as as it is made out to be, I mean, we can look at South Africa as well. Um, surely you would have seen an uptick in that. And that is ultimately the, the most important thing, because again, I'm no epidemiologist, no. but from my understanding is that typically a, a virus will become more virulent, and it'll be more easily transmissible. Yeah. But it becomes less lethal. And by the way, I, I, I had COVID in September. It was the fucking yeah. worst I've ever felt in my entire really? life. I was really? bedridden for 10 days. Knowing that now, I'm still not a fan of, I'm still opposed to lockdowns, and no, I'm still I mean, against uh,
0: I mean, that's forced thing. vaccination. That's the thing people um, argue with me. They go, oh, I knew such and such is very sick. And I go, well, OK, but I mean, I had swine flu 10 years ago. Um, and it. I mean, I could barely walk five yards and had massive asthma attacks and all sorts of stuff. But if somebody said to me, well, as a byproduct of this, do you think that society should be locked down? Well, obviously, the answer is no. (laughs) Um, Well,
1: here's a question. Do you think we would have locked down if if society was as deranged as it is now? Do you think we would have locked down during swine flu and and bird flu? Without a doubt?
0: um, Well, probably. And I think in future, if those things were to come back under some other name, then I would imagine. Yes. I mean, it's, I I watched a very interesting um, thing with this guy, basically, um, on a podcast. And he, but he basically said something, he said something very interesting. He just said, he said, look, my, his opinion is that let's call them surreptitiously the 1%, you know, whatever you want to call it agents of power institutions of blah, blah, blah. And the people have screamed at me for being a conspiracy theorist. When I said this, I said, look, it's just, it's a theory. It's a, it's an observation. It's a
1: yeah.
0: potentiality, you know, and um, it's, it's, um, so it's in case I just set fire to the room. Um, it's, um, <laughs> It's just, it's just uh, a talking point, which is this: is that this, uh, these transnationals, this technocratic one percent, have realized, in their opinion, that um, what passes for democracy in the West is not compatible with the speed of te- technology that's coming in the next two to five to ten years, whether it's d- uh, CRISPR, deepfakes. Whether it's 3 um, d printing, whether it's uh, you know a or well access to being able to shut down countries biologically or all these kind of stuff, um, his opinion was that technology is moving at such a fast rate that governments in the West have realized that individual people cannot have this technology you know person to person, and so the move to an autocratic Chinese social currency state which tightly controls people 's freedoms and liberties they've decided that this is where they're headed as opposed to, you know, a tackle regulating, um, you know, whether institutions or those corporations themselves or the progress of technology. And so, you know, you look at Boston dynamics, you look at the things they're developing, all this kind of stuff. um, And this is their, this is their reaction. And their reaction is we need to move every person in the democratic West onto this, Um, digital passport because we're going to need to control society Um, and this is kind of his opinion was like this is step one this isn't going to end this is this is a generational thing this is 10 20 years until the younger generation grew up realizing that their future is with ar goggles on and whatever and in the metaverse and now i'm not of course i'm not entirely sold on i just was like that's a you know it's an interesting opinion that an I said interesting it. Take. I said it to some people and they were like, "Yeah, that sounds like science fiction." I go, "Yeah, but the problem with you saying it's science fiction is that the Chinese social currency system um oh, is it a murder or whatever it's called, uh, it already exists. Like it's it's there for people, people are living within that. And so yeah. the idea that you could just transfer that technology in a sense to the west if we are all on this digital grid, it doesn't seem far-fetched at all. And that is something I think people are unwilling to sort of grasp, I think it's because elements of the West have spent a whole generation have spent so long on the sunny uplands of positivity and growth and economic growth. Look at my own country; came from like impoverished seven, second world country, ravaged by migration, to one of the big biggest, you know, the best economies in you know, or one of the best economies in the world under the Celtic Tiger, all that kind of stuff. They can't quite believe, like, oh, really? Is, could that be coming? And I mean, look, you see it yourself, you know, Boris Johnson saying I would eat a vaccination passport. Yeah. And here we are. Now it's
1: now it's going to happen. Well, I think I think the 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 Chinese social credit system, I mean, I think that's baked into the cake. I know. uh, And again, I speak under correction on this. I know a couple of years ago it was on the on the annual uh, Davos agenda, uh, you know, the, the, if you spoke, to, if you heard anything that Alex Jones said, Bilderberg had been talking about it for years. But I know, I know it had been discussed at Davos. Um, as you say, it's already in place in in China. There is there is already the infrastructure in place for a federal wallet in America with a, you know, a digital federal wallet where they can put you know stimulus money in. But equally, the long term plan could possibly be that they move people's you know finances entirely to that and at that yeah. point the government can start dictating how you spend your money yeah i they mean they also, just try to get somebody yeah go on they, they they just try to get somebody across the line as the uh comptroller of the currency in uh in north america and it was it was blocked by by the republicans who is a literal communist and said she wants to end all banks and the federal government should be the should be the one and only bank in uh in north america so it's it's not like you know, I don't think anything that you're saying is far-fetched. I, I think no. it's just a matter of how long do the people that are opposed to this and uh, and are still for freedom how long can they hold the line before this you know Marxist weight comes crashing down on them? Or well,
0: or else it's just a or else it's just a vast overreach that eventually is going to collapse under the weight of its own bureaucracy. I mean, I'm not and like I said, my opinions about these things there's things I see um, taking shape and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not married to or wedded to a particular position. I'm quite willing to, you know, about face or change my opinion on things if, if some new information comes up. It just, I mean, and also, of course, it does tie in with a lot of my, you know, dark world views or whatever i want to call it. But the, the idea that they said, oh, don't worry, you know, this won't be used to harvest your data or, you know, coerce you into systems of control and will be shelved once the pandemic is over. Uh, I mean, look—that's just not the way power works, is it?
1: No, no. I, I mean, power—power is—is addictive, and once people have it, they—they they are loath to let go of it. And you can—you can look at people like Anthony Fauci when he's on when he's on the news. I mean, this guy absolutely revels being in the yeah. spotlight. You know, he had one of these, "Oh God, forgive me for for being so humble." Um, moments on TV the other day where he said something along the lines of, I'm not a Euro, I'm just doing what needs to be done. And what people don't realize about this old simpleton is that uh, this was the same guy that in the 1980s said that um, AIDS is easily transmissible uh, through household contact. Yeah. You know, not not to mention his involvement in gain of function research. I mean, this absolutely disgusting um, st- story. These stories that have come out about the pain threshold or pain tolerance uh, experiments that he's done on animals. The guy is a fucking asshole that, and a scumbag, in my opinion. Yeah, but, but yet-
0: that didn't um, didn't gain any traction. The animal stuff no. didn't seem to. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it. Just doesn't it, it it not it doesn't really seem to. I mean, to stick, and you get like something like Ursula von der Leyen you know, the European Commission um, talking about EU-wide man- uh, vaccine mandates, and then you look her husband is in, in charge of a, you know, biomedical lab that helps produce them. Uh, um, but that's not what's on the front of our newspapers. It's all just very no. um, very simplistic narratives about this is what we have to do to save Christmas. Um, yeah. And, and, like, I don't blame it. Look, I mean, I have friends who just like, they just like they're just in suburbia and they're just trying to cope and they don't want 5 minutes in my head to think about this and I don't blame them for that at all but the problem is is that if you block any all sorts of skeptical thinking out then you know sort of what do they say evil prospers while while good men sleep or whatever you want to say yeah. you know and I know many many people like that who are just like this is just what we have to do to get out the other side and I just think that that's encouraging coercion and control in, in in order to come out the other side of it and, and end it, I just don't think that has any historical precedent. I just don't think that that works.
1: Well, well, like I said, I mean, the vast majority of people have very little to fall back on other than emotional gut responses to whatever the the news feeds them, and the news media knows this, and they play people like a harp. Um, you know, they know exactly what buttons to push to get them scared. They know exactly what buttons to push to get them angry. And that is how they'll dictate where, or at least they'll try to dictate where society goes. That's why they rail so hard against non-traditional media, mm-hmm. you know, and why people like Tim Pool, who, you know, most of his life has been, a you know, pretty, uh, you know, at, at the very least moderate, you know, probably bordering on progressive, you know, he's far right. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan gets railed on by by CNN at every opportunity. I mean, you can say what you want about him, but he's certainly not a gateway to the far right. No. No. Um, they they want to retain control of the narrative because that's kind of how they've always done it. They they just you know they 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 play those notes, get the get get the people good and mad about something, and then the people go out and vote how they want. You know they yeah, get I mean, them terrified about something, and the people are willing to accept any any sort of rule, any sort of law that they impose on them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's um, I was watching this thing the other day. With some the, the premier of Victoria State in Australia sh- shouting, saying basically doing a version of I am the science, basically saying if you disagree with me, you are this, that, and the other, and you know the internment camps, and you're going, and you're just I was just watching this guy. I think Russell Brand did a thing on him, and it's just like there's a there's an actual tyrant, in oh, yeah. in, in, in making in in creating there's a there's a pinochet, there's a there he is look there you know and you just see how quickly on a, a pi- Things pivot where all of a sudden, and this is what really worries me, is that is are all the democratic pillars that theoretically European society um, not only embraced but fought wars for just going to pivot in under two years so that people have go well, actually we don't really need freedom and liberty. We're going to pivot to a biomedical security state. Uh, I mean, people go, oh, Alan, come on, and you know what? Yeah, yep, yeah, I get it. Maybe not. Maybe only 20%, maybe 30%. But there's there's a grey area where we have to have a conversation, whereby the idea that you know a state like Austria will literally lock a third of the population in their homes.
1: Yeah. Um, well, they, they have you seen those photos of them erecting the fences in um, German supermarkets, and the unvaccinated have to stay on one side, and the vaccinated get to roam free on the other side.
0: Like how does like how do the optics of this not happening in Europe like a two-tier society whereby it just boggles my mind that i I mean our politicians somewhere there in the dark night of the soul like not going what the fuck are we doing what the fuck Mm. are we doing because this this divide and conquer propaganda ends it could end somewhere really really dark now I mean I know most people don't want to think about that and like I'm not saying that's gonna happen but at the same time i mean you see them in australia putting sending people to an in- internment camps over being um over lying about track and trace
1: yeah yeah well yeah, that there's a video of that woman
0: yeah yeah
1: Who uh, was that, talking yeah. about that and uh, the, the the cops came together and then i think the most egregious thing about that was claire lehman uh you know who's the i think she's the editor for quillette who i generally had always respected quillette as a publication and i mean she's her stock has gone way down in my opinion, but she, uh, you know, she was going on about how it's so amazing and people sit around watching Netflix, drinking beer and sun sunbathing. And it's like, well, no, not really. There's people trying to escape from the place. You know, this girl gave a firsthand account of what it's like there. It's, it's, it's also, I, I remember hearing once that it was, I think 2019 was going to be the year of strange alliances. I I feel like that strange Alliance piece is also you know, as as also sort of extended across into 2021, and that's kind of the thing that gives me hope. You know, on one side there's there's people saying things and doing things that I wouldn't have expected it of, but on the other side there's there's more and more people who, in my opinion, are waking up and at the very least thinking more critically and realizing that there's a pretty big tent where people can think freely and where we can agree to disagree, but where we where we also have a lot more in common than we don't. Yeah. And my hope is that that you know the folks under that tent will get will, will you know will increase exponentially and I think that's ultimately our, our best bet to, to to carry us through all of this
0: yeah or yeah it's 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 hard to, it's hard to say I mean um some days I have a little bit more hope for that than others and others I'm just like you know what fuck people I'm moving to Fiji or <laughs> get me the fuck out of here because I I don't like you you probably see on your podcast stats um like i have lots of listeners in weird when well, i'm weird in um curious places and I, I sort of put out this sort of bat signal you know the going tell me what's going on in your country and people are messaging me from um messaging me from like fucking cambodia from mexico from chile going hey things are pretty open we think what you're doing you as in europe is fucking crazy what mm. is happening there a few people from africa message me as well going You know, I play football with a whole bunch of um, North African guys and there. One guy, he's from Casablanca. He says to me, man, can't farm today, can't eat tomorrow. The government can't do this to us there. But you guys are so, and he just made it such a brilliant point. He goes, you guys are too rich. He goes, you're too rich? I was like, you're fucking right. He goes, and the implication being we're too middle class, we're too old, we're too rich, we're too indulged. The idea of the state putting a comfort blanket around you and going, there, there, we're going to save you from all of the isms, all of the phobias, and now add a virus to that, add everything so that you literally have this closeted and secluded life free from risk and danger, I think is one of the most salient points. And playing football with a whole bunch of guys from all these different places, from Nigeria and, you know, Morocco and Tunisia, it's just a brilliant insight into um and uh, russia and ukraine as well and they were just like well, as soon as this they're like we're the f- getting the fuck out of here no i'm bringing up my kids in this bullshit. you're not putting a mask on my kid Fuck you basically mm-hmm. <laughs> um different sets of people with different sets of so many different attitudes but the they all of them to a man were just going we can't believe what you fucking guys are doing right um, well,
1: i i agree and, and, and i think think, that, think about this in in especially the the millennial generation and, and and younger, have they ever experienced any true suffering in their entire life? Like true suffering, you know, on a, you know, World War II level or, or on the level of, of, you know, people in Tunisia, people in, you know, yeah. uh, over the years in, in Russia and the Ukraine, nothing, yeah, yeah. Nothing, not, nothing even close. So I, I completely agree. I mean, and again, the fact that they don't seem to understand that, there will come a point where the money runs out. I mean, the money is already out. The, gov- the, the government's in so much debt, it's, it's fucking obscene. And eventually, you know, they'll just keep on taxing and taxing and taxing, and then all the wealthy leave, and they move to a place that's a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more accommodating of uh, of them from a tax perspective. And then people suddenly realize, why is, why is our quality of life gone down the drain? And then the, the, well, isn't, isn't it, it, it becomes be first... it becomes a little bit like like animal farm whether you know whether where the the pigs just kept on blaming the farmers and that's basically what the politicians But well,
0: isn't going to isn't it going to be possibly true that this is going to be the first generation who fundamentally grew up with less freedoms than their um you know than their uh, mother and fathers or their ancestors before them that they i know quite whether if they notice or not I, well, I, I hope so, or else we're completely fucked. But they're going to be less free than the generation before them um, and how they react to that. I mean, look, we've lived two thirds of our life probably already, if not more. So um, we're
1: not oh, quite I've got a lot many years ahead of. Me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well, listen, <laughs> I'm closer to 60 than 30. So, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the demographic is um, we're not the demographic, you know. And so when I when I think about things, my friend said to me today, she said it's brand loyalty. You know, she says, if you get if, if they're talking about vaccinating young kids, get them on the brand early. And you're like, yeah, this is the same people who are pro this would have been against young kids um, being taught religion or being taught Catholicism. And this that you know, you're going, is this is this different? I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch of a comparison. But um, and that was my
1: oh, I, 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 I think. I think when it comes to the, you know, how vehement people are, and you actually made a good point earlier that I, that I, I was going to comment on, but I, I didn't. But around the coercion to take the vaccine, if anything has caused skepticism within me about doing it, it's the it's the. It's it's like the vitriol behind how how much they want they, they, they want to make you force or they want to force you to do it. Like I, I I liken it to I grew up in a very religious household and you know, the one one of the first things I wrestled with when it came to religion and Christianity, I could never I could in my mind I could never bridge the gap between this loving God who says to you, you you know, you have free will and you've free will to accept me as your Lord and Savior. But by the way, if you don't it's off to the the lake of fire with you where you'll be tortured for all eternity it's kind of the same thing with the vaccine no um
0: yeah I mean there's a religious element to it all right here it's definitely because it fits into the culture wasn't? there's definitely a binary choice of good and evil and I think that that sort of falls into some sort of religious category but it's that Nietzschean I guess it's beyond good and evil thing which is um the people who uh talked the most about you know um the most religious people were the ones who did the most horrendous acts in the yeah. Middle Ages, whether it was burning witches or whatever, you know, uh, torturing people. And so, because they did it in the name of their faith, now that's a bit of a, a stretch as to what's happening. But I can see, yeah, that, you know, an, ep- an element of this is becoming a kind of biomedical, the- uh, you know, theism. It's got elements of, of something religious to it. And that's probably why it evokes so much emotion in people. Uh, and there are, i think probably clouded by that and not able to maybe be skeptical or rational because that requires placing that element of us that wants that religious element in our lives which has been missing in the west for you know i guess 60 years or whatever or more um maybe 100 years uh these kind of things take that place that's innately within us
1: maybe yeah that vacuum I I I think it was mortis from uh from article I I remember reading an interview with him and he actually said it he was like you know we've been anti-christian you know all of our career he says now now Christianity has largely disappeared and look at what it's been replaced with he says we're, we're worse off than we were before
0: yeah I mean I think that knowing knowing Daniel a bit I mean I think we're the same age and I think that that's a that's a process um that will take you into conservatism you know they say show me a man who isn't i suppose a liberal when he's young and i'll show you a man who hasn't a heart and show me a man who isn't a conservative when he's middle-aged and i'll show you a man without a brain and i I think that's the saying Um, and so you know um there's that moment where you realize oh some of the things we railed against although symbolically um had a you know a structure that supported elements of society and if what replaces them is complete um hedonistic um you know, hyper sexuality or um whatever you want to call it or a completely rudderless society morally or whatever whatever way you want to judge it, um, maybe some of the things we opposed were not actually as bad as they were. But you're young and you're angry and I wrote lots of songs about, you know, anti religious songs and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean I think it's a natural process you hit a certain age and you go, hang on, some of this stuff, especially I suppose you know people who have kids and stuff. If you're kids and stuff, it it, it casts a different angle on how you view. Um, you now have something genuine to try and conserve, which is your kids. You know, so um, yeah. I think I think it's a natural process. You know, I've been on. I was I was
1: especially myself. surprised to 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 read him say that though. Him of all people. Um, I mean, I've met Morgan a couple of times, and he's an intense an intense cat. He's an awesome guy, but yeah, yeah in 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 intense dude but i was i was surprised to hear him say that because i i kind of agree you know again i'm not you know i'm not a practicing christian I, i i'm not particularly religious but i do as i've grown older there are certain aspects of the things i was taught when i was young that i i do value a lot more now than i did when i was you know when i when i was Fourteen years old or thirteen yeah, years yeah. old, and I, and I agree with you. I mean, there was a there was a time where singing about the devil was the fucking coolest thing on the face of the earth. Yeah, and crazy. you know, there's still when I listen to a lot of those songs, it's still like yes, fuck yes, you know, like. <laughs> it may, you do also like you have to separate, you know, life from just the the thrill of teenage rebellion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it may sound odd, but as a a teenager in a twenty something, I was sort of. um Oddly, not quite given to rock and roll. Abandoned. I was something of a sort of, um, odd. Well, I will not say conservative teenager, but I wasn't as uh, as thrown to that kind of stuff. And then, you know, when all the kind of old Irish scene guys met the Australian guys, the Destroyer guys, and all that, whatever, and some of the other old black metal scene from twenty twenty five years ago, they found it odd that our scene had a sort of a kind of a twinge of nationalism to it that they didn't really have. And this is in the sort of mid to late 90s. And I think that that sort of gave us a little bit less devil, a little bit less, mm. and maybe a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure what to call it. Um, historical awareness, maybe. I don't know, something like that. Or maybe it's just me being a miserable cunt when I was 18. and <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. You
1: know, <laughs> but you 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 sung about those things e- extremely eloquently, though. I mean, you know, I think more more eloquent. I'll go now. It's a big compliment I'm giving you, but more eloquently than most. Mm. Uh, you know, I think especially on the last primordial record, there's a there's a couple of songs there, and I, I'm fucking because I listen to so much music, I'm terrible with song names. But th- there are a couple of tracks where I think the 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 way you're kind of talking about loss of culture, loss of identity, and things like that is is it's stunning i mean it's really moving exile among the ruins is actually the song um, yeah, i was yeah. thinking about better now well um, I
0: mean, it's um i've sort of always been a bit lucky in the sense that the words were always my thing you know there were always other people who could sing better who had better other better attributes and if you were if you're one of those defenders you know you were the dennis Irwin, you were dependable with a seven out of ten every week and so this is a horrible football analogy. But you do the best with the, the the stuff you've got. But the word stuff was something that was always interesting to me when I was a teenager. And luckily I grew up in a very bookish house. And so you know my father's library was pretty much what I read when I was a young teenager. So maybe that's the thing that I was able to tap into quite well. But yeah I mean it's it's a hard thing because you don't want to lecture. You also don't want to proselytize or you don't want to, um, you know, be too angry. But I also leave some things open to suggestion for people.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, as I said, I mean, you do a tremendous job. I also uh, checked out that uh, red sovereign record after you and I had spoken, and it was one of some whatever reason had flown under the radar. Phenomenal stuff. Love it. Yeah.
0: That's the uh, that's my rock and roll alter ego i
1: called it i called it a ghost just... for grown-ups it <laughs> <Wow>. uh, goes
0: <laughs> for grown-ups wow okay yeah it's just my rock <laughs> and roll alter ego that i also told, told yeah. he wasn't allowed out when he was a teenager so it's like a kind of some sort of past life or you know kind of adolescent regression where i'm allowed to pretend that i was 17 and playing the bass to venom in my room and stuff you know but yeah. Well, yeah. one thing I noticed is maybe you have a a good take on this. It's interesting to note how many sort of now metal podcasts there are, and that they are they do seem to be getting bigger, don't they?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think for me, there's a couple of things that 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 help my podcast grow exponentially. One was the reaction to you being on the podcast was massive, and I think it's because there were a couple of folks in the run up to that that were big as well. I had Charles from AM on and things like that. I kind of wish secretly that Charles had let me keep the first hour of that conversation on on air because that that was some some fiery shit. Very good, okay. but anyway, like you and then uh, Katie and Season of Mist helped me get goal on and that. That really helped oh, get yeah. it, you know re- re- really get it going. And it's it, and I'm and frankly as much as it's a, a very shit situation for a lot of bands. The fact that people are stuck at home mm-hmm. makes it easier for me to talk to them because you know they they are they're, they're much more open to being. Spoken to, but I, I I've seen a lot of other podcasts come up, and there's a couple that are very good, but for me, I I actually started this before the pandemic, and I, the idea that I always had in my mind was, I would sit at press days and I would listen to you know people interviewing bands, and it would be the same bullshit questions yeah, yeah. and boring nonsense, and it was like, and in my mind, I thought one, if I were in a band, I wouldn't want to be answering this crap. No, no. And secondly. If I, as a fan of the band, I've never been interested in reading or, or hearing the same old nonsense regurgitated over and over again. It was, I, I, I had dinner with Scott Ian once and he, he said to me, I have done 250 interviews in the last week. Yeah. yeah. And it just blew my mind. Yeah. I remember I, I, did,
0: I did about fucking 140 or 60 for Gathering wilderness in like three days, 120 or something ridiculous. I did like 40 a day, 30, 40 a day, each one 15 minutes. Right. Is that possible? Yeah, I was there from like 10 in, 10 in the morning to like six in the evening. In the end, I was just lying on the ground and the metal office officers going blah, 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 blah. And I thought I'm not fucking doing this again.
1: I was about to say, I I, 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 I get how you just feel because it'll be, the, it's again, what I heard was the same nonsense over and over again. So the idea I had was if I, you know, I basically just want to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons. It'll...
0: That's one of the reasons why I ended up with this sort of antagonistic personality uh, thing in interviews, because I got so bored that I wanted to create a bit of tension or a bit of like, I'm not talking to you about the drum sound, who gives a shit about that or whatever. And so people began to, would always interview me because they they knew they were, you know, or in the last couple of records were like, they, they don't even start with the, oh, blah was the new album? They just go straight into the state of the world address. And that that suits me much better because I prefer that. Because otherwise it is it is numbingly fucking boring, you know. But mm. do you think that the, the, the metal scene in general, the labels and all that stuff. do you think they've really acknowledged the sort of reach of the podcast i mean i it, i don't know how to people contact me and ask me how do we put you know endorse or ads or whatever and i don't i don't really know how it works as a potentially financial model unless you achieve a much much bigger status which is you know when there's tens and tens of thousands of people listening a week you know i mean i do yeah, all right that- don't get me wrong but like it's achieving that other level is difficult
1: yeah well i i i it's hard for me to answer that question because i've openly said many many times i'm not going to ever have a patreon i'm never gonna i'm never gonna have any endorsements or sponsorships or anything like that i don't care how big the podcast gets i have a career so i you know my, it, for me it's about yeah, yeah. the you know as cheesy as it might sound it's I'm, i do it because i love the scene um and i and i do it because i wanted i wanted to create a podcast that would be the kind of thing I'd want to listen to, and that's really the only measuring stick that I, you, I, I I use in 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 doing it,
0: yeah, and I mean, it is a it's a great outlet in that the amount of um, you know, obviously, when I did the interview, then I went back and checked out some of their interviews, and I thought, oh okay, here's a band I don't know, but so let's have a little dig in and see, you know what is their conceptions about free speech and this kind of thing. And um it's sort of um, the climate within which some of the things that I wanted to talk about, I suppose the fact that there were other podcasts out there delving into some of the same, same things sort of said to me, well, you know, you can push the boat out here and there and you can say this other kind of stuff. So definitely the idea that there was now when I look, you know, my Spotify suggests all these people to my go, oh, well, there's fucking 14, 16 other metal podcasts. It's quite an interesting development. And I'm just wondering hmm. at what stage do they become, do they become acknowledged as being, more influential than some of the print media that people. Put yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Alec, how does that? Where how does that go? You know.
1: That that's a that's a very interesting question. I mean, I think, I think if you were to if you were to tally up numbers, so I know I know the numbers that I do, mm. I'd be. I'm not far off. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely get more downloads than Terrorizer used to sell magazines. That that I know for, for a fact. Yeah. And I'm sure you you you're probably on a par with what uh, publication like Metal Hammer or Kerrang would do. So if you endorse an album, technically speaking, the reach, especially because you have, you also have some something of a of a captive audience. Yeah. In your in your podcast, because they're listening to you for the full two hours. There's no guarantee when somebody picks up a magazine that they're going to read it cover to cover.
0: No, true enough, and also, but it's it's kind of the the few kind of people who reach out to me have often gone well. Um, we here's something that you need to talk about, and then we might work on a commission for that. And I don't want to compromise the idea of what the podcast was, which was my take on the world. By interrupting yeah. it every ten minutes to go, you need manscaped. Blah 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 blah. And, <laughs> and then when I actually looked at all yeah. the numbers and crunched of stuff, I go, "Is this really worth thirty-two dollars to me a month to interview to interrupt my podcast every quarter or whatever?" You know. And so yeah, I, I think yeah. I think considering the situation of the music industry and what's been happening, I think um, you know musicians are well within their general rights to try and consider things like. As long as it's not too dirty, um, you know, Patreon or those kind of things. It's, as it's, It seems to me to be more kind of like a fan club of sorts. But it's
1: yeah, no, I agree.
0: It's not as grubby as I thought it would be. But at the same time, um, <laughs> but at the same time, it seems like the people wanting to put ads in the podcasts or advertising, they very much hold the power because they can very clearly see if they add a discount code what actually comes through your podcast and they go well you only got 11 orders this month and whereas they don't want to attach something to your name whereas if you put an advertisement in a magazine you have no idea how many people go oh it's the new omnium gather yeah. well that's the reason why i bought this record you have no idea so I, it's a weird because it feels like bands are being asked now almost to do their own promo sometimes for the label's work by doing as much social media as possible i mean i you know cool. I I, sometimes I'd rather think I'd rather be, uh, you know, a fucking, um, I don't know, vegetable farmer in a hill on the side of, in Italy and have none of this shit than be in charge of, if you added up all the things that you're supposed to be somehow filling out, and whether it's all the Instagram pages, it's all the, you know, updates for Gigwell or whatever all this crap, there's probably about 30 passwords in my, in my chain that I don't know the fuck, you know, which you don't get. I'm just fucking moaning about not getting paid for anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Well, look, I I I agree with you too. I mean, for me, it's it, it's more a personal choice to do that. It's not it's not because I'm taking any sort of you know moral stand against something. I I, I actually think, as an example, I spoke about it in my podcast a little while back. I think NFTs as a uh, you know as something that bands are uh, are selling. I think it's a great way to generate. I
0: income. have. I, I'm. I mean, I've tried to understand it. I had to watch it. Uh, like a child's cartoon. Two of them, one one explaining Bitcoin and one explaining yeah. NFTs. So I I understand what they are, but all my friends who jumped on the Bitcoin thing six months or a year ago are all like, "Hey, I go, how's your Bitcoin doing?" They go oh, I'm seven euro down or eight, nobody's made any money. And I always go, no. "Isn't that because you don't have the computing power to do the data to do the mining? Like you're you're not going to do it on your phone. You're not going. You think you're really going to make hundreds on your phone? I don't think so."
1: I, I, no, I, I did I a bit of trading on my phone it. and i made a reason i made a reasonable amount of money and but on bitcoin i lost a significant amount of money i i don't I, I i whatever trading i've i've dabbled in the one thing that a very good friend of mine who's the smartest human being with investment that i know told me is unless you're willing to stay invested in something for the rest of your life don't invest in it mm. um but uh just with regards to the nfts i mean i like you know i know not not really Metal as such, but Avenged Sevenfold, you know, part of the wider metal scene. I know they've released NFTs where I have a I funny get, story about
0: them actually. But yeah, go
1: on. <laughs> you get meet and greets with a band whenever they are at a show, and you know st- st- stuff like that. And I, I jokingly said on the podcast, if Aggrega will agree to play in suits at every single show that I see them at, I'll, I'll pay a significant amount for an NFT that that evokes that. But I do think it's a, I, I, I do think it's a legitimate way for bands to you know, supplement their income, especially now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, some, there's something about like, when we went to Australia the first time, they were like, oh, do you want to do paid meet and greets? And I was like, no, I'm not charging people money. I would never do that, charge people money to stand at the bar with a bunch of idiots like us. I mean, we're going to be the bar anyway, really. It's it's kind of, and, and the, the guy, the promoter was like, oh, right, every other band did it, or most bands I go, ah, not really. I mean, it's too vulgar. It's not why I started playing music. Now, you know, admittedly, the Patreon actually is quite cool and um, there's no tears you can pay a dollar and i put up songs and ask people about movies and it's actually kind of like an old school fan club it's not mm, as mm. not as odd as i thought it would be but um you know you want to hear my avenged sevenfold story
1: yeah go for it
0: right we played with them uh for two weekends in a row at festivals it must be like 10 years ago or something more, uh, they put two, sometimes they put two bands together for like festivals, and you travel. You don't travel with them, but you end up in the same little backstage porter cabin. And we ended up with them, and so we ended up. Well, I ended up hanging out with the drummer, the guy who died. I think the guy who killed himself for like I two. I don't week- know about that. Yeah, two weekends in a row. He he. Yeah. Got, it was clear he was being like sort of like he wasn't having a good time, and he ended up hanging out with us, just drinking whiskey, listening to Doc and. And listening to you know Cinderella and all this kind of stuff, and uh yeah, hung out with us for like I don't know a few de- uh, two weekends in a row, and then uh well the story doesn't have a happy end maybe like like what we're all talking about, and then about yeah a month later I heard like oh the dude fucking killed himself.
1: Did did you get an inkling that you know he wasn't a uh, particularly happy person when you spoke I think
0: he was an, he was a bit older than the rest of them, and I think he was on a. I mean I don't know I got the impression he was a bit older and. Yeah he seemed to have a lot of demons all right um yeah. and and since hence why he just seemed to sort of walk down and end up hanging out with us but yeah it's an I don't know anybody I don't know any of sevenfold fans whether that means anything to them I don't know what he was called um the rev or something I don't know very it was a very nice chap and he hung out he was very happy to see us the next weekend and we ended up well hanging out drinking listening to to, to Docker so there you
1: go yeah well just just something actually again touching on what you said earlier about the metal scene I do think the it sometimes feels to me—I wouldn't say there's two scenes, but I definitely feel like there's like a part, of a subsection of the scene that is kind of its own thing, and the labels around them are labels like Season of Mist, Deborah Morati. There's a certain style of music coming out of that, and it all—it it seems to attract a certain type of fan, certain type of musician. Um, and again, that's just observation. You know, yeah. I'm, 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 I might be wrong, but I, I, I think those are the those are the labels, those are the bands. That are also gravitating more towards podcasts, towards this new way of getting their music out. Again, many of those bands are on are on my show or have been on my show. Mm. But I definitely think there's a separation between the old ways of doing things. And I think some of the bigger labels are still stuck in that way. And newer labels who realize, hey, for free I can get, you know, I can get more traction on a couple of podcasts than I can spending a whole bunch of money on a PR campaign.
0: Yeah. I mean the I, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's just that that other new world, I mean, if it doesn't involve being able to play live and then think you'll lose, there will be an awful lot of bands who will just disappear out of it. But we I think it's going to be speaking to like rodden Christ, Mark Marduk just did a tour. It's going to be a kind of look if you pick the right time of year with a with a you know venues that maybe aren't as strict as others, then maybe it can happen. Maybe it can't.
1: Well, you did a couple of shows with Dread Sovereign because uh, my friend Cheyenne met you
0: only in the UK yeah I mean um, we but the, the, the thing about it is now most shows now in Germany and other places now are um, everything now until March is pretty much being shelved again so I just wonder mm-hmm. is touring going to be a seasonal thing whereby last week in November until the first week of March just forget it because we're gonna be in this perpetual treadmill of um, some form of lockdown you know so who have you yeah. got up next or what's going gonna to-
1: so I've got uh, this coming Tuesday. I've got Jack Gibson of uh, of Exodus. Oh yeah, uh, it was okay. a very very fun conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. it was first forty five minutes or so was music,
0: okay. and then
1: and then, it, then it got spicy, and then I'm going to take a break for Christmas. I'm I've I've got a. I've got a possible Christmas surprise in the offing. I don't want to talk about it because I'm fucking paranoid and superstitious about shit getting canceled if I if I dare mention who it is. But it's somebody I've been desperate to get on the show for a while. Big fan of his music. So if I, do, if I get it and it happens before Christmas, I'll, I'll drop it on Christmas Day. Nice. And then I'm actually going to do my best of 2021 episodes um, in mid-January when I come back there's so much good stuff that's come out this year i want to actually spend time listening to it you know my a lot of the magazines and stuff they try and pump that that out at the end of november that's you know, they,
0: they so. ask you they, they ask you in the end of october and um you know i mean i just went oh it's the new clandestine blaze album and then nobody wanted to print my top 20.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey well uh dread sovereign's on the uh, is on the contender list so i need to uh, i need to give that a give that some proper you know it's a listening time and i just like every 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 year i've done my best off at the end of the year and then i get to like late december and then some you know yeah. fucking random band out of you know in russia puts yeah, out an yeah. album on the 29th of december and i'm like why the fuck did I not include this on my list so totally
0: right so look last question then where do you think we're going to be in nine months years time
1: well i think doing this again well, probably. I mean, I, I definitely hope we'll do this. And I, I really do hope at some point, you know, we'll get to meet in person and, and have a beer together. I, I, I think there's this part of me that holds out hope. Uh, you know, I I I see a lot of things busy changing in people's sentiments. Like I said to you earlier, a lot of people are starting to wake up. And if you look at America as an example, because some of that stuff is somewhat easier, and more straightforward to track. Um, you know the the TV shows that are popular, the news shows that are popular. I, I I have a strong suspicion the midterms will tell us an awful lot. But if there's a you know if, if if somebody like Ron DeSantis from Florida gets into office or if he's reelected, you know that that's that's a pretty strong indication of where people's mindset is at generally. And I think I, I feel like. In a couple of years' time, things are going to be very different. People people often forget about what the seventies, you know, the late seventies were like. You know, for inflation, social upheaval, mm, yeah, everything like yeah. that. And then Reagan yeah. was voted in in a landslide. He wasn't the best yeah. president. He wasn't. He was. He, wasn't, well, he you was. He was better the, than you, had the I,
0: you had the IMF in London, or in England, in nineteen seventy-four. Yes, yeah. you know, seventy-five. So
1: my yeah. my my then my fear is, and this is ending ending things on an ominous note. Michael malice said this and I agree with him. there are an awful lot of people, very bad people that have been looking at what's going on and looking at how much the human or how much society will take mm. and they have been they've been they've been taking note because this is not the lot this is not the first or the last crisis we'll face in our lifetimes there's there's certainly going to be others. Yeah. I just hope that what that we take away and apply something positive from this. Rather than this be the precedent to say, all right, next one it's lockdowns, you know, helicopter money, you know, all, all, all the stupid shit that they've done in the last two years.
0: Well, at least it, um, if we have helicopter money instead of helicopters overhead, which
1: <laughs> I have that anyway because I live pretty close to a military base. So...
0: Guns traded on the wasteland. All right, sir, yeah. it's been a pleasure. All right, sir,
1: take care of yourself. All right, bye, bye.